Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're just joining us, we're so glad you're here to worship with us today. If it's your first Sunday or if you've been here forever, praise God, we're glad you're here. As the kiddos continue to exit, I want to pray for us because I need it as we start. And then we have some good news to share with the word of God uh, to you this morning. Father, we thank you uh, for today. We praise you because you're beautiful. We praise you for your love. We praise you for your forgiveness and we thank you for your provision, Lord. Uh, now as I speak, I pray that you would just clear my mind and prepare my heart, Lord, and that your words would be uh, my words and your thoughts, my thoughts, even though they are far too great for me to understand. Uh, please impart your truth to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2015, the new Star Wars trilogy came out, and we all have our opinions on how they compare to the previous sets, um, and I want to share mine this morning because I'm here and you're not, so here's here's my chance, but I don't know, it's, this is extra biblical, okay, so this is not part of our core doctrine or essential church beliefs, but if you want to be my friend, they are, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, the, there's three different films, and the first of which is called The Force Awakens. It begins on this desert, you know, wasteland of a planet called Jakku. And there's this beautiful music in the background. All of a sudden, you see this mysterious character, and they're wrapped in a cloak, and you don't know their face, and you don't know what they're doing, and you're yet somehow just sucked into this story. This one was my favorite. In my opinion, The Force Awakens, the one that started, was the best because it was so mysterious and so unusual. And it just brought you in. And then as you watched it develop and unfold, you realize it really has the three elements of all great stories. One is it, it begins with this question about destiny. Is there a chosen one? Is there someone special and are they who we think they are, or might they be some stranger in a far-off place? And if there is a chosen one, what does their path look like? Is it, you know, all roses and parades and fanfare, or is perhaps there just a little bit of suffering and struggle in between? And at the end of the day, what will be the outcome? Do they win or do they lose? Is there glory and grandeur and victory, or is there shame? And defeat. Who is this person? What is their destiny? Today in First Peter chapter 2. The author is going to ask a very similar question. And what's absolutely profound. Is that that question applies. Not only to the main character of this story. But to us as well. Who are we? And what is our destiny? Is it possible that we too might be chosen? What will our path include and where will it end? What is our destiny? Before we get to 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to show you the logic of the passage. I've got a graphic I'll bring up here in just a second. But the point of this is this, is in this passage... I'll bring it up in just a second. <laughs> just teasing. Kelly is awesome. She's so wonderful. She's the best volunteer. So 
I had to have a little fun there. But here's the thing. There is this beautiful passage of scripture. It's got Old Testament prophecies. It's got metaphors. I mean, Peter is really excited. And so he just pours into these people and just like in a few sentences brings in tons of Old Testament illustrations. You can chase those down with your life group later. I'm not going to go into every single one of those today. Don't have time. But I do want you to understand the main point and the logic of the passage. And it works like this. Go for it, Kelly. All right. Here's what happens is basically what Peter is saying is there is a leader and there is followers. There is a leader and there's followers. And with this choo-choo train or Thomas the train or chug-chug engine or whatever you call it, you can see that the obvious outcome is going to be where the engine goes, the cars and the caboose follows. They're headed, he's headed down or she's headed down this track. And that's where everyone else who's coupled to them or joined to them or linked or bonded or however you want to call it is going to go as well. It's one unit. It's one body. And there is something that is pulling it. And in some cases, even sometimes on the big long ones, there's an engine behind it that's driving it as well. So if you want to get super theological, just for kicks, extra credit, those who care, those who don't, don't worry. But here's a Trinitarian picture. If the engine is Jesus leading us, then what you would have in the couples or the links would be the Holy Spirit holding us together. And the driving engine, if there were one on this picture from behind, would be God the Father pushing the whole thing to where it's intended to go. But for today... All you need to know is, look, where the leader goes, the followers go as well. And in our case, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are following him. And where he goes, you go. Where Jesus goes, we go. So in other words, his destiny determines our own. Jesus' destiny determines my destiny. If I am linked to Christ, if I am bonded or coupled to him, if I am being built together as part of his body, then where he goes, I go. First Peter chapter 2. By the way, we have blue Bibles in back. They're just blue because that's what we have. If you need a Bible, feel free to take one. If you want, you can just follow along up on the screen. We'll have the words here. Whatever works best for you. Some people like their phones. Um, here we go. First Peter Chapter 2, Peter says to the people in Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, as you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone, here's what happened to Jesus, he was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, then you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what's happening, a picture, a metaphor. For as it stands in Scripture, it was prophesied, or it said, Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, will not be put to shame. So for you who believe, for those who have trusted in Christ, There is honor. Now, here's a contrast. But on the other hand, for those who do not believe in Jesus, the stone, that's Jesus, that the builders rejected, that's the Jewish people, has become actually the cornerstone, the foundation. 
And therefore he is a stone of stumbling. They trip over him or a rock of offense. He crushes them. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you who believe in Jesus, you who have trusted in Christ are a chosen race. These are all those Old Testament metaphors for God's people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Just for kicks? No. So that you may proclaim, here's your purpose in life, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Here's the contrast again. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So where is this thing headed? What is Jesus's destiny? What is our destiny? Let's look at the first thing this text tells us about Jesus's destiny. I'm actually going to go to first Peter chapter two, verse four. This text today says, it tells us, 1 Peter 2, 4. Um, let's go, sorry, Kelly, just back to the short one. That Jesus is chosen and precious. Chosen and precious. 1 Peter 2, 4 says that Jesus is chosen and precious. Not only was he chosen and precious, but he was also foreknown before the foundation of the world. So in other words, as Christians, as believers, um, what we affirm is that Jesus is eternal God and eternal man. Now, originally, he was only eternal God. At some point in time, he became a human being. But he always was and is to come. He is eternal. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But in that eternal state of existence that he was previously, if you will, in... Even then, he was chosen. God specifically chose Jesus before the foundations of the earth as the, to be the only begotten son to the one who became flesh for us and for our sin. So he is the perfect person, the perfect baby, the perfect child, the perfect lamb, the perfect savior who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is absolutely perfect in every way possible imaginable and incomprehensible the chosen one um, par excellence so number one jesus is chosen and precious number two here's the one that strikes us as a little bit actually a lot odd is that jesus was not only chosen and precious but jesus was also chosen for suffering Jesus was chosen for suffering before the foundation of the world, before human beings ever existed, before there was the garden, before there was the fall, before there was sin. Jesus was already chosen to suffer on behalf of humanity. Now, that's a weird thing. And that's weird because in our lives, if there is something that is valuable to us, if there's something we spent a lot of money on, if there's something we care about, then typically we take very good care of it. We set it aside. We don't want it to get messed up. In fact, if it's a fancy football card, we might put it in a case and put it on display and tell our friends not to touch it and promise not to trade it and say, we're going to keep this forever and ever because it's so cool. I bought this. Amen. Right, Zion? Right. 
Zion thinks the chosen one is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> We're working on that today. I'm just teasing, buddy. It's okay. Something special you set aside, you set apart. Say football is not your thing. If it's a vase or if it's jewelry or if it's whatever, you inevitably you set it aside, you put it on display, and you try to keep it nice. But in this instance, what happened is that the very most valuable thing that God had, he set aside for suffering. Jesus was the most precious thing that God had was set aside for suffering. And not just any suffering, but the greatest suffering of all mankind. Jesus was chosen specifically for suffering. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He was foreknown. This was foreknown before the foundation of the earth. And the proof of it is in the pudding. Look, 1 Peter says, the prophets prophesied, 1 Peter 1, 10, and they predicted the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah 52 through 53, well over 600 years before Jesus came, they specifically said exactly what would happen to Jesus. It's not a surprise. It's part of the plan. Jesus was chosen and precious, and he was chosen for suffering. Jesus was chosen to sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. But that's not all. There were little ellipses at the end of those lines that I put up, and that's because I left part of the verse out. And the part that I left out was this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says... The prophets who prophesied predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You see, you can't have one without the other. We'd like to, right? You'd like to have just the glory and none of the pain. But the reality is, even for Jesus, glory required pain. The prophets predicted the sufferings and the glory of Jesus. But here's, here's what's so cool is even though God in his infinite wisdom and in his mysterious mind and his power and might that's way beyond ours sets aside his most precious thing for suffering, he didn't set it aside for destruction. Jesus is going to go through a terrible experience, but he will not be annihilated. And that's why the psalmists say that um, the chosen one or the holy one will not see decay. Because God would not allow his son to be shamed. Now, everything about the crucifixion and everything about his experience was intended to shame him. His persecutors made fun of him. They stripped his clothes off. They want to expose everything they can. They want to make his day as bad as it could possibly be. To the teacher, they called him a false teacher. To the one who worked for God, they said, you work for Beelzebub. For the one who is against demons, they said he's in league with demons. Everything they could think of bad to say about him, they did. For the purpose of shaming. So Jesus, right, he suffered. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't that his life was easy. And yet, even though he suffered... He would not be shamed. How is that true? Well, here's, here's why we celebrate Easter. Easter is the answer to that. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 and following says, The resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the thing that vindicates him. This is what proves he was right and all of his detractors were wrong. He has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and what happened? 
The powers who opposed him have been subjected to him. In other words, why do Christians get so excited around Easter? Why is it such a big deal? It's not the Easter bunny. It's not the chocolate. It's not the candy, anything else. Christmas is great because Jesus comes, but Christmas isn't it. Easter has to come too, because that's when he who appeared to be defeated actually was shown to be king of the world. And that's why we just got done singing and resurrected king. You know, here's what happened. But it's not just Easter. There's Ascension Sunday too, where Jesus is, he's been crucified, he's been raised, and then he is raised to reign on high in glory. And he's coming back again. So in other words, in summary, what are we, what am I saying about Jesus? What is Peter saying about Jesus? Here's the thing. Here's who Jesus is. Jesus is chosen and precious, number one. If you want to download this slide later, you can. It's on our website, free. Enjoy. Chosen and precious. Number two, he's chosen for suffering. And number three, he is chosen for glory. This is who Jesus is. He's chosen in every way. Precious, suffering, and glorious. That's your Savior. He is precious, suffering, and glorious. Jesus is chosen for those three things. So if that's who Jesus is, If that's his destiny, guess who we are and what is our destiny? Well, we're coupled to him, remember? Remember the slide? Here's a graphic. He is the leader. He is the go-before. He's the captain. He's the king. He's the one pulling us through. Jesus is the leader. We are the followers. And that means that where he is going, we are going. And his destiny determines our own. So watch this. The text actually shows us that all three things that we just said of Jesus are true of us as well. Every single one of those applies to us. Let me show you. Beginning in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, there is some incredible parallelism. That's a Hebrew poetic thing. You don't have to remember that. But I I put it like this on the screen so you could see it. Because it's like A, B, A, B. They directly correspond and correlate to each other. So feel free to look at the screen here. And this is what earlier of Jesus we said he's precious. He's chosen for suffering and for glory. Look, Look what it says. It says, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That's Jesus. You... You yourselves are like living stones. He's a living stone. Well, he's the cornerstone. You're living stones being attached to him. And just like he's chosen, what does it say of us? We are chosen. And in this text, he uses the Old Testament term for his own possession. So if you track his own possession down in your Bibles and follow the reference to all the different footnotes, what you'll see is when it speaks of God's Old Testament people, which is now how he speaks of us, listen to how the Bible refers to you. If you ever doubted your value or your worth, listen to how God thinks of you. Edmund Clowney sums it up well in his um, book, The Message of First Peter He says, oh, how the language of the love of God is lavished upon God's people. We are God's inheritance, his personal and prized possession, his treasure. He bears us on his shoulders, carries us in his arms, holds us in his hands, seats us at his feet, loves us with a jealous love. We are to be his 
to the exclusion of all other gods and bear his name. The love of a father for a son, a husband for a wife. All of these analogies are used to describe God's incredible love for us. Jesus is chosen and precious. Amen. That's easy for us. As Christians, we're all like, yeah, we see it. The perfect spotless lamb of God. But I'm not perfect and spotless. And yet, what does the text call us? Chosen and precious. We are chosen and precious. Amen? Amen. Just as amen to Jesus, so too with us. Because there's a direct parallel. Those who are coupled or linked to him are included in his blessing. This is what's so great about being in Christ. He's chosen, we're chosen. He's precious, we're precious. As long as we're in him, we're okay. That's huge. Nothing else matters. You know, your job, your your abilities, your looks, your life, your friends, your relationship, your health. But. If you are in Christ, then it's all good. Where the leader goes, we go. He is chosen and precious. We are chosen and precious as well. Now, I would love to stop right there. Be like, all right, let's go to number three. Chosen and precious and destined for glory. But wait, number two, what was that one? Chosen and precious and chosen for Suffering. Exactly right. Jesus was chosen for suffering. We're chosen for suffering. Amen. All right. Somebody in here has faith. (laughs) That's harder to say, isn't it? It's easy to say Jesus is chosen and precious. It's hard to say we're chosen and precious. It's, it's, It's something we have to say that he was chosen for suffering, but it is not something we want to say to say that we're chosen for suffering. But the reality is to receive his glory, Jesus had to suffer. And for us to get to glory, we have to suffer as well. There's no other road. We're following the leader. It's down this set of tracks. Pick up your cross and follow him. That's the deal. We are chosen for suffering. But it's not sadistic and it's not evil and it's not mean. It's meant for good. And in the mysterious and magical plan of God, this is how it works. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says, Beloved, remember? Chosen, precious, beloved, all those terms that he lavishes upon you. For you who are going through this, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share the sufferings of Christ. It is a strange comfort, but a comfort indeed to know that we are chosen for suffering. This is normal. So often we think this is not normal. Mine is worse than everybody else's. Or mine is worse than theirs. Theirs is better than mine. Or, But no, it's normal. This week when you encounter something difficult. And you don't enjoy it. It's at work. It's at home. It's in a relationship. It's in your mind. It's an imagination. It's a dream. It's now your reality. Whatever it is. It's normal. When you come into struggle and suffering and difficulty and persecution, that's normal. You're where you're supposed to be. If everything were easy, you'd be on the wrong road. But the narrow one is hard. 
wide one is easy and it leads to destruction, but the narrow one is filled with suffering. For these people who were at this time, they were just about to go through the um, persecution of a Roman emperor by the name of Nero. He used Christians for candles. They were accused of being disloyal to the state because they said that Jesus is king and Caesar didn't understand how you could serve Christ and be a good citizen as well. And so what to do with the traitor? Well, feed him to the lions, of course. These people are suffering and we suffer as well. It's not to belittle ours, but the reality is Peter is not writing into a vacuum. He understands what suffering is and he says, look, beloved, don't be surprised. This is the road of Christ. But, however, even though that's our reality, look at this. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while. After you have suffered. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory. He himself. The same one who raised Jesus from the dead. Will himself. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If you are linked to Christ, he's chosen and precious. You're chosen and precious. He's suffered, you will suffer. But he restored Jesus. He will also restore you. Here's one of my favorite and perhaps most profound promises of the entire Bible. What are the promises of God? What can we take to heart and know for sure? First Peter 2.6 says this. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Stop there. Throw everything else away. Sell it all. Who cares? What else matters at this point? For whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Your job, your dog, your wife, your kids, your car, your health, it doesn't matter. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. They did Everything they could to put him to shame. And yet God raised him from the dead. No matter what the devil has in store from you. God will raise you too. The resurrected king. Is resurrecting. Me. Whoever believes in Jesus. Will not be put to shame. What did God say in the Psalms? My holy one. Will never see decay. You are his chosen Precious possession, his treasure, his people that bear his name. He will not let you decay. Where Jesus goes, we go. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's a summary slide. I think it um, brings it back again. We are, just like Jesus, chosen and precious. We're chosen for suffering, that's true. But we're also chosen for glory. What I do with this, well, I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you. I hope it reminds you of the point 
of First Peter, when we say that there is tremendous, tremendous joy ahead, what does that do for me? That gives me hope for the future and strength for today. So when I come into something difficult this week, I'm not necessarily surprised by it or overwhelmed by it, but I know that God who loves us is working all things together for good. And therefore, with that joy, with that perspective, with that strength, I can keep going even now. As we get ready to wrap up, I've uh, got to get my last two cents on on the last trilogy. Um, so I really like The Force Awakens. And I didn't necessarily like the, the third one. I didn't really like the second one. But I, I told my wife, see, the boys and I went first to the, well, one boy and I went first to the third one. And uh, she's like, okay, am I going to like it or not? Don't tell me anything. I'm like, eh. I don't know, because, you know, it's just one big fight scene, right? Like, you know where this is going. It's the final battle, and the good guys have to win, and there's not a lot of mystery. They're just sort of marching towards this big end. And so it's a fast march to total destruction for the bad guys. Eh, Spoiler alert, sorry. It's not that big of a surprise. I like the mystery of the first one, but then I started thinking about it this morning. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should like that third one more. Because isn't that the thing? Like, isn't that what we're doing too? Like, we're all just headed to the final battle. And then the end. And the good guys win. And all the bad guys are gone. And that's it. It's not a surprise. It's been predicted. Foreknown. From before the foundations of the earth. If you want a mystery, mystery, look at Jesus, but the outcome is no mystery. The outcome's already told. In the end, we win. Because Jesus wins, God is good, and God is in control. Father, we thank you and praise you so much for your victory. So good to know that Jesus wins. There's a lot of loss even now. It hurts and it's hard. And I'm sure there are many things in this room that um, haven't been described or articulated to anyone else. But Lord, we can suffer because you suffered. And Lord, we can have faith and hope because of Christ. We thank you for his resurrection. We praise you for his victory. And we ask that he would come back soon so that we can see him win in the end. In Jesus' name, amen.